Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, your backstage pass to revealing conversations with stars, creators, and industry leaders on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Stephen Schwartz. He is, of course, the composer of Godspell, Pippin, Wicked, and more. And lately, he's a busy guy. He recently celebrated the 20th anniversary of Wicked, at the same time that he's overseeing the music for the big-budget movie version, the first part of which comes out next year. Meanwhile, The Prince of Egypt, the stage musical adaptation of the 1998 animated film, arrived on VOD this month in a filmed stage performance recorded during the show's West End run. And he's also got a new musical in the works, The Queen of Versailles, based on the documentary of the same name and starring his Wicked collaborator, Kristen Chenoweth. Now, he's in the virtual studio with me to give us the latest on all that and more. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for joining me. Hey, Gordon. Good to be talking with you. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. So The Prince of Egypt is a stage musical that's been around for a while, but it's one that a lot of audiences, here in the States anyway, haven't had a chance to see. So for folks who haven't seen it, first of all, they should know there are a lot more songs in the musical than there are, than there are in the movie, right? Well, sure. You know, yeah. I mean, the, an, an animated feature is limited in its length mm-hmm. and um, has, you know, fewer songs uh, just mm-hmm. by nature of the what it, you know, what the genre is. And then when one adapts for the stage, you have two acts and you can go into right. a lot more depth with the characters and with the ev- events and therefore more songs are required in order to tell the story so one of the enjoyable things about doing prince of egypt for the stage was to kind of revisit that musical palette and then mm-hmm. you know write some new songs um you know in, with with the intention of staying within the same kind of sound that the original uh animated feature had yeah, how do you characterize that palette when you say you revisit the palette? What are what what's the mood and the tone and the and the uh, tools that you're working with? Well, it's cultural. You know, mm-hmm. I did a lot yeah. of research for the original film in in terms of music of the uh, of the region. You know, mm-hmm. I listened to Hebraic lullabies and the Middle Eastern, um, you know, uh, instrumentation. I, I had a recording that I found, which purported to be of 
music from the ancient Egyptian court, though how they possibly knew what that was, I don't know, but it involves yeah. a lot of brass. And yeah. um, I and I got um, kind of pop records on the streets of Cairo. Yeah. You know what? You know what were they sort of listening to? And made an amalgamation of that. And so consequently, when we were doing the um, the stage show, I went back and listened to that and then had a lot of discussions with my wonderful orchestrator, August Eriksmon, about what what authentic instruments can we use so that so we really try and give a flavor of the region and of the culture and the two clashing cultures as well. Yeah. So and what are what are those instruments that you don't often see um, in a Broadway? Well, day? there's a lot of, you know, percussion. Yeah. Um, you know, specific percussion instruments. There are stringed instruments like the oud that make certain, um, you know, they have different tunings, et cetera. And um, as one, you know, watches the video and, and hears the orchestration, you'll you'll hear a lot of that instrumentation. And I think, um, you know, in, in the stage show, and so I assume on the video, um, there are places where you actually see, um, particularly our percussionist, on stage, you know, playing some of the authentic percussion instruments of the region. Yeah, and so tell us a little bit about how how the how the stage musical tells the story differently, or how it fills out the story from what people saw on screen. Well, the you know, I the concept of the original um, animated feature um, came from Steven Spielberg. Um, when we were dealing with the Moses story and if you will, the 10 commandments. And mm -hmm. it, he said, we want to view this as a brother story. We want to view this as the story of two young men who have grown up together, who love each other, who have a great relationship. And then even though there's some undercurrents of jealousy, et cetera, but then their destinies force them to be opponents and antagonists mm -hmm. and, how how the, how do we tell that personal story um and then ultimately how they come to reconciliation and i think we were able to do that a lot more fully in the in the stage show than we were in the in the animated feature um it's less good guy bad guy um even though we really tried to avoid that even in the animated feature but more strongly in the in the stage show it was important to us that this not become a story of my god's better than your god mm -hmm. but a story um of uh, um the need for empathy the need for being able to look at a situation through someone else's eyes um you know obviously a, a quality much lacking in contemporary society you know, and, and, and we see in some ways the same uh, old grievances that exist in Prince of Egypt being played out in our headlines today in the yeah. horrible situation in the Middle East. Um, you know, so uh, I, I wish that I wish that I wish this the show were less contemporary and then then it turns out it is if you know yeah i was going to say there's a real urgency now to some of yeah. what prince of egypt is about in, uh, exactly. in what's going on in the world yeah do you have a particular favorite of any of the new songs that you wrote for the stage show um you know i never i don't really talk about favorite songs mm -hmm. and the, and the reason i don't is because i don't want to get in the way of the audience's own reception mm -hmm. i don't want them to be listening so, 
to something through the filter of, oh, this is his favorite. Why is that? Um, that being said, I was glad for a couple of opportunities um, yeah. in the stage show musically that we weren't able to do in the animated feature. Um, there is a song where Moses responds to the devastation uh, that is brought on by the plagues. And you see the emotional cost that it it, it takes on him, um, uh, which is called For the Rest of My Life. Again, this is a song that seems unfortunately extremely contemporary mm. um, in terms of what's going on right now. Um, there's also a, a whole new character um, of Nefertari, who is Ramses' uh, betrothed uh, and and his wife, and then she becomes his wife in a very real way in the course of the show. And she has a response to the death of her child, the firstborn, um, called Heartless. And again, I, I was very glad to have an opportunity to to explore that. You know, she's she's a character. I like characters where you think you know who they are, and then you find out that they're more than you think. Um, I was like that when I encountered in other works and she, she, I mean, we try to do that, I think in the show and with several of the characters, but, but especially with her. Yeah. Yeah. The show premiered uh, in Northern California and it had a run in Copenhagen and then mm -hmm. one at, at Tuacon in Utah. Um, and then there was this version that uh, started performances in 2020 uh, for the West End that is uh, revised to some degree. Can you tell us about what that, what that means? Yeah, I mean, in the development of a show, mm -hmm. one is you're you're always developing uh, yeah. until you finally have the 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 finished um, version, and so um, you know this was this was all part of the developmental process. Um, you know, having run whatever it was a year in the West End, um, you know, dealing of course with the horrors of COVID, but nevertheless, yeah. somehow, you know, running running a year there, uh, now the show is being prepared to be released. Um, so that, you know, for, for um, licensing right. and as, as one does, we're, we're actually making a few little tweaks to it still because right. nothing is ever perfect and you learn from each production and each experience and can always make it a little bit better. Yeah. Um, the director of that West End staging is uh, one you know well, uh, Scott Schwartz, your son. Um, you've done a couple projects with Scott before. Yeah. What's it like collaborating with a family member? Yeah, well, I mean, Scott is one of my favorite directors, <laughs> um, not just because we're related, um, mm -hmm. but we do have very similar sensibilities in the kind of theater we like and the kind of stories we like to tell. Um, Scott began his career very deliberately not doing my work, establishing himself through shows like Tick, Tick, Boom and Bat Boy, you know, which he helped to create, et cetera. Um, right. And, uh, but then he, came on board uh, when uh, Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame was being right. adapted as a stage piece. And he did it quite brilliantly, uh, had a great staging concept that has now been done all over the world. And so when it was time to um, try to realize another animated feature for the stage, you know, the DreamWorks team was very interested in Scott, um, you know, being part of it. And, you know, I, I really value his theatricality. He and his choreographer Sean Cheeseman came up with the notion of not using a lot of, um, you know, mechanical stage machinery and great big props, et cetera, and really having the 
the people themselves create things. So you have the, you know, the Nile being embodied by dancers as the, the, the basket with the baby is carried down the Nile and you have dancers turning into chariots and mm. stones in the desert and becoming the burning bush. And, you know, I, I, I liked that the use of actors and dancers to, to embody these gigantic um, phenomena, um, you yeah. know, and that's the kind of thing that, that Scott comes up with that frankly would never occur to me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the show opened on the West End in February of 2020, and of course that mm. was uh, that was right before the whole world shut right down. Right before COVID, yeah. Yeah. What was that period of uncertainty like? How? At what point? I, I imagine there was a, quite a bit of time where you weren't even sure that the show was able would be able to come back at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we had. I mean, fortunately, it, it, it had done quite well in previews and was doing well when it. Uh, you know, from in terms of ticket sales when it shut down but it was a very new show and so um it was very it, it, it was very challenging to weather the the whole covid time you know keep the cast together make yeah. sure they you know had insurance well in, in the uk you don't need insurance but right you know oh, right were, <laughs> you know could eat etc et yeah. um and then coming back from COVID was very challenging because the rules were very strict. And if you reopened and then one person in the cast got COVID, you had to close for 10 days again. And so, you know, that happened a couple of times and was extremely expensive. So from a financial point of view, it was, it was extremely challenging. But as I say, somehow, you know, we, we did manage to eke out the year's run we were, we were scheduled to do. Yeah. And so how did this filmed version come about? Well, because, you know, of the um, the the challenges of being able to keep a big show like that going through the whole COVID period, yeah. um, you know, Universal and people who had seen the show and really loved the production um, wanted to have some kind of permanent record of it that they could then, you know, share with with broader audiences. And so the decision was made, um, as, as several shows are doing now, to do a uh, a video capture of it. Um, which I'm obviously very glad to have because I think people who see the video will see, you know, I think the production is quite beautiful to look at. And so one gets to experience that and just the feeling of what it's like in the live theater, but also because there are cameras that move all over the place, it's, it, you know, it's it's like you have every seat in the theater and you also get to be on stage. <laughs> so, um, you know, you get a lot of different perspectives um, to the show, which I think is is exciting. Yeah, yeah. And tell us about some of the cast for the for the musical for the West End musical and how that came together. It feels like uh, it feels like um, diversity and representation were a real uh, formative factor in the way you put that cast together. Yeah, very, very much so. Obviously, mm -hmm. it was extremely important that the cast be diverse. Um, at, but all, but it's not sharks, uh, you know, like sharks and jets. I mean, mm. Scott felt that it was important not to have, you know, all the, the Hebrews look a certain way and all the Egyptians look a certain way and the, the upper class look a certain way. Um, what he felt was like was, this was an entire company that was telling this story. And at times they were all everything. So mm. they were all the Hebrew slaves or they were all upper-class uh, Egyptians, or they were all, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, um, commonplace 
Egyptians, etc., and and that this would be moved around, and that there was a real cultural diversity. Um, unfortunately, you know, we were able to find a lot of extremely talented people from different uh, backgrounds and ethnicities. I'll have more with Stephen right after the break. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now, here's more of my conversation with the composer of The Prince of Egypt, The Queen of Versailles, and Wicked, Stephen Schwartz. The filmed version of Prince of Egypt, of course, comes out pretty soon after another show of yours, Wicked, celebrated a pretty big milestone on Broadway yeah. with its 20th anniversary. Uh, how was how were those festivities for you? It was so nice, Gordon. You know, mm. I saw people that I hadn't seen since the developmental stages of Wicked, oh, wow. since, since, you know, workshops before we opened on Broadway. It was like a gigantic family reunion. Uh, you know, there were several people who had played Elphaba or Glinda or Fierro or been part of the company um, who came. I, you know, I told people it was like it was like having a family reunion attended by fans. So mm. we yeah. were all we were all family. And then there were a lot of people applauding them and taking their picture. So yeah. um, it was but it was a really enjoyable experience. Yeah. And so what is the day to day of your involvement in Wicked? You don't fully ever walk away from a show that's, you know, still running, particularly not in the number of productions that it is around the world. Right. How do you how, how does it how does Wicked play a part in your life these days? Oh, yeah. All of us, the um, the creative team work very, very hard at maintaining mm -hmm. maintaining the show, trying to mm -hmm. keep it very fresh. Just last weekend, I was in Philadelphia to see the tour. Um, yeah, well, along yeah. with Stephen Arimus, our musical supervisor, and yep. Lisa Leguio, who's the director who basically is is in charge of maintaining the productions. And we were all taking notes, and I was mm -hmm. working with the sound guy at the soundboard, et cetera. Um, because the fact is that, you know, someone who sees the show now, let's say on Broadway, where it's been running 20 years, mm -hmm. if they're seeing the show for the first time, we want them to have the best possible experience. And and not feel like they're seeing something that's you know a, a a faded facsimile. So everyone works extremely hard to maintain the show and 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 keep it at the the highest possible level. And you know I'm part of that. I'm you know yeah. I get emails. I got one today about a cast replacement. And mm -hmm. would I would I look at the video that this young woman submitted? You know and 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 consequently be able to approve her as a you know. Uh, Anessero's takeover, oh, which I oh, did because right. she was fantastic. But but yeah. the point is that you know, not just I, but but all of us, you know, remain involved. Yeah. Obviously, we have careers and lives and other projects that we're doing, so it's not as full time as when you were originally doing the show. But sure. yeah, it's it, there's definitely a commitment to to maintain the show. Yeah. 
And most of the productions of Wicked around the world look like the Broadway productions or follow the stamp of the Broadway production. But just recently, there was one in Sao Paulo that was an entirely new mm -hmm. production. Did you get a chance to see that? Oh, yeah. I went down and yeah. worked with them. That's yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. And and tell, it, tell, tell us a little bit about that production and what it brought out. Yeah, it was really, it was so cool. Um, just now we're starting to, they're starting to allow what we call non-replicated productions. Right. So um, there was, yeah, this excellent production in Sao Paulo. Uh, I was just recently in um, Gutenberg, uh, Sweden, mm -hmm. because they just did a non-replicated production there. Um, and it's it's always fascinating, you know, yeah. to see a, a different director and a different design team reinterpret the story. I mean, obviously the show is the same, though in the case of you know, it was translated into Brazilian Portuguese and Sao Paulo right. and into Swedish and Gutenberg, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are there are always like staging ideas that are different and and cool and you know, some listen, I think the Broadway production is really superb. And I just saw it again recently, obviously, for yeah. the 20th anniversary. Um, but there's always different ways of doing things. So um you know, I, I, without going to specifics of like, oh, they did the flying in this way and they did the wizard head in that way. And, yeah. you know, the set was differently designed in such and such a way. Um, it's really fascinating to to see those different approaches. Yeah, the flying in the Sao Paulo uh, production sort of, I saw a couple of clips of that. It looked very different from what we see on Broadway. It is. It's, it's extremely impressive cool. in a different way. Yeah. 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 Well, because she comes right out into the audience and you feel at one moment she's actually going to land on the audience. And, it's, yeah. you know, there's yeah. like this gasp as she drops. And yeah. yes, it's 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 very cool. Yeah. Uh, and of course, you're uh, there's also a wicked movie or two in the works. Uh, yeah. How, what is, um, how are you... What's your involvement in that? Do you spend a lot of time? Do you need to want to spend a lot of time on set? Is there? Are you writing any new music for it? What's your involvement? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, first of all, um, Winnie Holtzman has done the screenplay. And right. so she and I, along with um, our producer of both the show and the movie, Mark Platt, and yeah. director John Chu, um, did a lot of work on cool. the, you know, what is the screenplay? Um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to tell in terms of publicity, sure. but I, I know it's out there that there are um, two new songs, although right. both of them are in the second movie. And there mm -hmm. are some adjustments of certain other songs, expansions and um, yeah. revisions. Um, and then, you know, my job is to be in charge of the music. So, you know, I was there for all the pre-recording and will continue to be as the recording is finalized. I was on set a couple of times, um, which was really fun because the sets and the costumes are astonishing. Um, yeah, but that that's my involvement so far. To, I, I know John Chu has been editing, um, mm. but I haven't seen anything. Yeah, I was just going to ask, not, are you liking what you've seen so far? That was my next not, question. I haven't seen it yet. It's not okay. my job yet. I mean, obviously, <laughs> once we get into scoring, et cetera, um, right. You know, then then I will be involved with that. But I, I didn't feel it was appropriate for me to be sort of watching the sausage being made, if you know what I mean. Sure. I thought it would only be stressful. And mm. uh, but I, I feel that way about stage shows, too. I like to sort of I feel like let the director do his job or her job, you know, yeah. step out of the way, let them do what they're going to do. And then I can come in, you know, with a clearer perspective. And if I see some issues, you know, help to um, turn a light on them.
Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of stage shows, you're working on a new one with your um, uh, former Wicked uh, collaborator, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's called Queen of Versailles, and it's based on the documentary. I had a reading in the That's spring. Correct. How did that go? Um, yeah, we, well, we're in process. So yeah. um, we just finished a, a workshop period. Uh, mm -hmm. It seemed to go very well, but mm -hmm. it's it's in development. There's lots to do, you know, things we need to fix and change and revise and that that will keep going through, uh, you know, some more development process and an out of town tryout, presumably, you know, just right. that's that's how it goes until you get to, um, you know, I, I think it was Stephen Sondheim who said, you know, musicals are never finished. They're merely abandoned. And mm -hmm. so basically <laughs> yeah. you just yeah. keep working until basically you have to freeze the show before opening on Broadway and then you abandon it until you get your next chance to do more work on it for licensing or for a London production or whatever. But yeah. there's always, you know, you can always make it better. So. And when you're writing songs specifically for Kristen, how are you tailoring them specifically to her talents? Like what does she uh, like to write for as a, as a singer and performer? Um, well, Kristen has an extraordinary range. Yeah. As you know, she will, uh, um, we, because the character she's playing in Queen of Versailles would not have a soprano. She mm. doesn't, she doesn't go back and forth the way she does in Wicked, where we developed because of Kristen, the concept that Glinda has a public persona who sings in soprano and uh, right. a private persona who is, you know, more whatever you would want to call it, you know, chest voice. Um, yeah. Jackie Siegel is, you know, sort of mostly set, almost all set in that part of Kristen's range. But I know mm -hmm. her voice very well. And, um, you know, obviously my job is to make her sound great on every single note we have found again without giving it away right now a way to sneak her soprano in in one sequence yeah. great. just because we should because it's Kristen. um yeah but basically it's she's playing a character and yeah, i think doing it really really well and mm. therefore um you know the songs are of course meant to be sung by Kristen, but within the context of uh, the Jackie Siegel character she's portraying. What is the, in the way you were talking about sort of the palette of the music for uh, Prince of Egypt, what is the palette for Queen of Versailles? Um, yeah, I don't know how, how much I'm allowed to give away. It's, it's, it's ah. a pretty pop score, mm -hmm. um, which is a little um, maybe country inflected. Um, mm -hmm. Again, just the nature of the character. Um, there is an element, I, I'm going to be a little secretive about it, but there is an element that uh, is quite different and involves um, some you know, much more classically oriented music. Um, that's that's all I'll say about that for now, because okay. otherwise I'd be in real trouble with the producer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that will, that is making its way in uh, toward its mm -hmm. first production. What is the, what do you see as the future stage life for Prince of Egypt? You mentioned that now it's being uh, sort of put out for licensing. Do you, um, do you imagine a New York run at some point? What's your, what's your thinking? Yeah. I don't know in terms of what will happen in, you know, in, in so-called first class productions, because yeah. that's an economic decision. Um, yeah. The, sh the show was created originally. The reason that there became a stage show was a huge um, demand um, for um, theaters, theater groups, colleges, church groups, community theaters, 
around the country and frankly around the world who wanted to do a stage version and there were a lot of pirated versions being done wow. uh, when i was working on something in copenhagen i saw that there was a, like a pirated version being done at a, a at a town in sweden nearby and i went and saw did it did you go oh my god uh, <laughs> yeah i did because you know and they sort of made up their own script and then stuck yeah. the songs in and so you know finally universal and dreamworks said well you know if people really want to do this we should give them something to do yeah and and that was the um you know the the genesis for uh you know the impetus for for doing the stage show and now i think as i say it's going to be out there i i expect that there's a lot of interest so i expect there'll be a lot of productions all over the place and you know if there's a first class production in new york great and if there's not that's fine you know but but i feel as we've been saying it's a story that unfortunately has great contemporary relevance mm. and therefore you know having productions out there that may help people to think about uh, others they consider their enemies uh, in a different way in a more compassionate and more empathetic way um if the show can help you know bring that into the world a little bit uh that would be a great thing yeah so we will be seeing the show on stages everywhere uh and on screen very soon uh thanks so much uh stephen great to talk thank to you. you gordon yeah great to talk to you too thanks for your interesting questions yeah. thanks take care That was Stephen Schwartz of the musical Prince of Egypt, which is now available on VOD on Broadway HD, Amazon Prime, and more. If you enjoyed this conversation here on StageCraft, I'd really appreciate it if you took the time to rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. Or tell a friend about StageCraft. Find past episodes and subscribe at all the places you get your pods, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on the Broadway Podcast Network, a great place to find more theater for your ears. Stagecraft will return in January after we take a little break for the holidays. Until then, find me on Instagram and Twitter at Gordon B. Cox. You can also check out my new newsletter about international theater. It's called Jayquees, and it's at gordoncox.substack.com. Thanks for listening, and see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.